Hi, I'm Kristen Wagner, the Editor-in-Chief of Lehigh Valley Style. Welcome back to the LV Edit, where we take you behind the scenes at the magazine and celebrate life in the Lehigh Valley. I'm so glad you're here. Today, I'm joined by Lehigh Valley Style food writer, Carrie Havranek. One of the reasons behind starting this podcast was to introduce readers to the people behind the magazine. I feel so lucky to get to work with such talented individuals, and I'm really excited to continue introducing you to our creative team of freelancers. I love talking to Carrie about this year's restaurant award winners, her monthly inside dish column, recipes, her book, all things food. Let's get into the conversation. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the LV Edit podcast. We have been talking about you coming on for a little while. Now seemed like the perfect time as November edition of Lehigh Valley Style celebrates all things food and drink. And you really are the resident food writer here. Uh, you wrote this month's feature, the our annual restaurant awards feature, which we were just talking about offline and, and how many new winners there were this year and how exciting that is for us. Yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable, especially considering a lot of them are like new, new insofar as, you know, they opened within the last couple of years, um, you know, during the pandemic and the post pandemic at a time when, um, you know, everything is struggling, but restaurants in particular have kind of a unique challenge with staffing and all kinds of stuff, you know, things have come back, but they've come back kind of differently. And some things have come up for the very first time, um, which is kind of neat, whether it's, you know, Vietnamese or um, I think Hoza opened in the last few years as well. So those are two new winners and two cuisines that we probably could use more of around here, which is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've been writing for the magazine for longer than I've than I've been here and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about your journalism career and and how it led you to Lehigh Valley style and just your experience with the magazine well you know it's funny um when we were talking before this recording I was trying to remember when I started um doing this in particular regularly and I think it was well, Lisa Gatta was my editor at the time. And so I think it was 2010. I know wow. it's been at least a decade. Um, but, 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 and the fact that it's been so long and I can't remember where, how I, when it started <laughs> to tell you something that it's just like a, 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 the fabric of, you know, all the different kinds of food writing I do. But in terms of my journalism career, um, I always knew that I wanted to write. I was always writing. I was always that kid who was like journaling and scribbling and notebooks and making up stories and stuff. And I kind of always liked to know what was going on. And I didn't really put all that together until I was in high school or maybe even in college. It's like, I think it was more high school when I realized, I started to realize towards the end of high school that maybe my, my path was not English major, but more journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I went to Rutgers, I went to Douglas College, which is the women's college at Rutgers, and I majored in journalism and American studies. I had all the sort of requisite internships that one would have. Um, but the funny thing is, is that I kept getting pulled out to this area, 
repeatedly. My very first job many moons ago was as an intern at Men's Health at Rodale. And I was, um, I was contacted because my, I had won some sort of magazine, associate magazine editors, if that even still exists, um, internship in New York. And I had done that. And apparently when you do that, they send your resume to all the member organizations, like all the magazines that are part of that. And so somebody, so somebody named Jeff Satari, who still is a working journalist, uh, who was one of the editors at Men's Health at the time, contacted me and said, oh, we'd love to have you come interview for an internship. And I was like, great. So I was in New Brunswick. You know, it was like my senior year. And I was I was thinking, great, I'll just hop on the train and go to New York. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, no, we're in Emmaus. I was like, wow, well, I actually know where that is, um, which is kind of funny because my my um, I had been out this way a couple other times. Uh, let's just say. So it's really funny. And so that's kind of how I started. I started as like a health and wellness editor, um, you know, writer. Um, I got a great experience and a great education there. And then I kind of went from there um, and did some other writing and then went to grad school at NYU. And um, I was just talking about this the other day. I actually started, really started as um, I wanted to be a music journalist and a music critic. And the program I went to at NYU was for cultural writing and reporting. And it was an amazing program. I got to intern at the village voice. Um, it was just, it was great. And so I did that wow. and I was doing all of that kind of like around when things were starting to get very digital, like in the early two thousands. Um, I'm showing my age here. It's all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, I went from, I did music for a while and I did a lot of arts writing and then I kind of transitioned to travel writing. I did a ton of freelance writing for Fromers. Um, I did work for um, another publication in the region for a little while in my mid-20s. So I was kind of always immersed in what was going on here, but I was also always immersed in like a bigger, a bigger journalistic scene too. So it's a good balance. Um, And so from the the travel work, it kind of went, I started writing about, I started writing about food and travel kind of hand in hand because they really do go hand in hand a lot. Um, and then I went on a couple of press trips that were culinary oriented and then things just started to make sense. Um, and that was about probably a little bit right before I started writing for you guys on a regular basis. And I did, after that, I did some work with Dave Joachim, who lives in Center Valley, who's amazing cookbook author and editor. I can't even tell you how many books he's worked on. He is an amazing machine and a great human and also a drummer in Tavern Dan, Shout out to that. <laughs> um, and he's just so great and generous on a couple of his books that he did with, um, he is a co-author with a lot of uh, Mark Vetri books, uh, the James Beard okay. Award winning Italian chef in Philly, who's just a great human. And so I worked on some of his, uh, some of his books in Dave's kitchen in Center Valley. And we would, uh, I know you guys have featured him before and we, you know, we would test recipes and make sure they worked and, you know, you make sure the math worked. Cause sometimes when you get recipes from chefs, you get a list of ingredients or you get volumes that aren't to scale, like for the right. average. Cook. <laughs> so, so that can be kind of interesting. Um, but every day I worked with him, you know, it was, it was an education and I learned like at least four or five things, which was awesome. Um, and so that was a huge part of my education. It's funny. One of my kids the other day said to me, like, you well wait you didn't go to culinary school but wait you didn't do this and you didn't that you did you teach yourself and it's like we've had this conversation guys um but you know they're 14 and so sometimes they don't 
remember. They, you know, remember what they want to remember. They just know that I, I do stuff with food and I write about it. <laughs> so, you funny. Know, all they like, you know, um, or like I hear, try this moment, you know, for dinner, um, is kind of how they encounter, how they interface with what I do. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of it. And what it's what happened was once I got to food, I, it kind of it kind of made sense and it stuck. And it was a way to talk about a lot of different things. It was a way to talk about um, memory and home and family and longing and and a way to bridge gaps between people. Um, I also taught at Lafayette College for a little while as an adjunct, and um, I, didn't know I that. taught there. Yeah. You didn't know that. Oh my gosh. I didn't know. So that might've been before I met you because I stopped, I think I stopped doing that when my kids were little, they might've been like three or four. Okay. Um, but, but, um, when did you start at style? 2015. So it's okay. been that feels like right. seven years, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's probably, that's probably why. Cause I was done with that by then. Cause I was grading papers and I had toddlers and I was like, I don't want to be up to midnight doing this. <laughs> I got little that, kids. Yeah. It was, I love doing it, but one of the things uh, that I, that I did, cause I taught the um, English 110, just kind of like the English comp. And at the time it was structured in such a way it may be now, I don't know how they do it now, but the instructor could choose the topic. So when I started teaching the class, I started teaching the theme of the American dream, but then I quickly, after a couple of years, I was like, I want to do something different. So I started doing food. And I found that had an incredible level, enabled an incredible level of engagement with the students. Um, you know, I would do things like, you know, one of my early assignments was I'd make a batch of cookies and I'd come in like a good icebreaker kind of assignment. And I'd, I'd right. be like, okay, guys, we're going to do like a free form writing assignment. What Describe what you're eating, describe any associations that come to mind, you know, spend 15, 20 minutes and just eat a cookie and do it, you know? And so like, you're giving someone a cookie at nine in the morning, mm -hmm. kind of hard to refuse, you know? So, I mean, everybody eats, right? And so that's, that's the thing. And everybody needs the answer um, to the question, what's for dinner answered every day. So food is, it's, it's universal and, and that's, and it always gives us the opportunity to learn something. And that's why I like it so much as a topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you've had such an impressive career and like you said so many different areas but and so what are some of like the memorable past articles or some of your favorite pieces that you've worked for specifically at Lehigh Valley style oh gosh there's so many things that I've done over the years um oh boy um most recently I had a phenomenal time at at PA house um I yes. know I told you when we were there, when, when, when I was there, it was like this, literally it was like an eating extravaganza. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just the warmth, um, that they, you know, exhibit <laughs> anybody who comes in there and now granted I'm there to do a story. So they're going to, they're going to be, you know, the hospitality will come out in full force usually. Um, but this was like beyond this felt to me very quintessentially Italian, um, which makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, even though they don't build themselves as Italian restaurant per se, there's definitely, you know, that level of hospitality and that ethos kind of infuses everything that they do there. Um, 
and you know Franco being from Rome and it just just it was it was great and I I learned a lot and I and I really felt like I got to understand who they are as people and it made the whole process so easy when I can go in and just talk to people and it's just a conversation that just rolls it makes my job so much easier and I walk out of there um you know, usually with everything I need or close to it, I always do follow-ups and check things just to make sure that I get stuff right. Um, but you know, it's, it's, that was great. Um, another one, you know, and this is Italian too, and this is going back, goes back to one of my favorite stories was when, when, when Molinari's opened mm. and I sat with, uh, with chef Mike and Anna Molinari and, um, it's just, I, it was great. And it was, it was a beautiful way to talk about Italian food in a way that I don't think we'd really talked about it much around here. I think a lot of people were used to, um, the very typical kind of reliable, solid Italian American experience with the restaurants, with the red and white check tablecloth, like almost a cliche, right? right? Um, right. good, solid, etc. But this was, this was different. This was like, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do something that pulls, you know, regional, regional food in to our approach to authentic, rustic Italian food, make it as much as possible from scratch. Like as I'm talking to you, like I'm thinking about the focaccia. Oh my gosh. <laughs> also, a lot of the hot pasta was homemade. And I think to me early on, you know, it was like, I can't even remember when I wrote the story. It was a long time ago. Um, but to me, it felt like, I had such a good experience doing that. And I felt that, um, you know, what we were seeing was something a little different and, you know, certainly novelty is, is helpful when you're, you know, when you have the privilege of introducing people to something that's new or different or unexpected. Um, you know, I take that seriously. Like I really, you know, I've been doing this a long time and so it's easy to get into writing ruts and habits and mm -hmm. patterns. Um, and certainly with, you know, having done this a long time, there's people that I've interviewed multiple times, like Lee and Aaron from Belit and Mr. Lee's. Um, right. And every time I go back to them um, for, for, you know, for whatever the assignment is, I try to do it a little differently, um, knowing that, you know, there's been things that people have, people know about them, but then of course there's always new people coming into the, to the region. So you can't always assume a level of familiarity. Um, just because you have it. So you have to, you know, work with that. But I try to get at something different, you know, especially with people that I've interviewed, um, you know, multiple times so that it's not the same story so that we're, that people can understand the evolution of this, you know, chef or restaurant owner or whatever it is, you know, the food luminary <laughs> um, and, and get another understanding, another angle on them. So you really do yeah. do that and, and there's you put such care every piece that you work on and like you said trying to you know do something different or tell a story that hasn't been told um and sometimes it sometimes the subjects are more challenging than others like oh you said. definitely <laughs> <laughs> you know and we like rachel and franco at pa house but i truly think that they are that kind and that welcoming to everyone that oh, they encounter. I agree. I agree. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Totally and they agree. they are they're like so special to to work with and and 
you know, other people don't get it as much or, or the restaurant isn't as cooperative and you really month after month do such a great job of making it work no matter what. And, um, you know, giving readers something that they can really walk away with. And what we're talking about here really is our, our monthly inside dish column, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, highlights a local restaurant in every edition and, our readers love food. They love dining out locally and, and they love, you know, you really give them like an inside scoop. Um, and I'm wondering if you can take listeners more behind the scenes of, of what that process looks like for you as, as the writer. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, what I, it's funny because what I used to do is that I used to do, I don't know, this is like a dirty little secret. Um, <laughs> I used to, No, no, it's good. When I first, you know, like a lot of that process is like a lot of times you guys in-house come up with ideas, but, you know, increasingly in the last few years is Allison and I have been working together really closely. Um, And we can talk more about her in a few minutes. Um, But, you know, as she and I have been working more closely in the last few years, I'd say probably the last four or five years, um, but especially since the pandemic, that process has become much more, um, she and I will go there together and uh we'll coordinate and we'll be there at the same time and we started doing that during the pandemic because it was um it was easier to coordinate because restaurant time like restaurant owners did not have a lot of time and everything was weird and we were you know shooting food outside in december because everybody was masked and nobody was vaxxed yet and so there was a lot of that kind of stuff um, but generally it starts with, you know, a back and forth, like I'll have ideas or you, you guys have your ideas and you guys set the calendar and then, you know, we figure out what to do. And then the email goes out to the, to the restaurants and chefs and, and we schedule a time, we go there, we talk, like we're there for maybe an hour, hour and a half longer as in the case of BA house. I'm going to keep picking on them because <laughs> it was so much fun. And it was, it's top of mind because it was only a few months ago. Um, but um you know, usually I go there and we'll talk and I have a general idea of, you know, what I need to ask and what I need to get out of it. But I used to, back to the dirty little secret, um, I used to do a lot of prep beforehand and figure out, you know, all the questions I wanted to ask and, and how I wanted to do it and all this other stuff. But I stopped doing that. Like I know what, where I'm going and who I'm talking to when I get there, but I've found that, um, and maybe this is just because I've been doing it for a long time that I don't feel I need that level of prep, but I also yeah. feel like going into this process with, um, without too much information or not even an agenda, because, you know, I kind of have to do the same thing every time, but just being open to the serendipity that occurs when I get there, um, you know, it enables me to see things really f- in a really fresh and new an unfiltered way where I can just go in and say, and be surprised by whatever it is. Um, and trust that they'll, you know, I ask the right questions and they'll tell me the right things that I need to know. And if there's something really egregious that I miss, you know, I usually find that after I talk to them and then I go back and be like, well, wait a minute. I just, somebody told me about this and, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so the process is collaborative, you know, she and I, Allison and I have been doing a lot of this stuff together at the same time. Also, you know, we're aware that, you know, people make restaurants, make food and they put it out there. And so Allison has to photograph it. Um, and then I have to eat it. And so if we're not doing that on two separate occasions, they're not wasting their food. I mean, I don't know that right. they waste it per se, but it's less wasteful, let's say. 
Um, and you know, in those days I typically come home with random leftovers that, um, you know, my kids and I eat and, you know, they give me other levels of feedback, which is highly entertaining. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the process. And, you know, like I said earlier, the, like the best, the best stories and best quote unquote interviews feel just like conversations and time spent with like-minded people. And it just makes the whole process go so much easier. And that gives people a better, you know, inside dish yeah. <laughs> on the place, you know, it really does. So it's really a two-way thing. Like it's, 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 you know, but, but in those situations where I do have challenges, I can always figure out what the story is um, or what is something that I can tell, even if other aspects don't come together, maybe the way that I would like. Um, right. But, and, but that is something that I hope is largely invisible to the reader. It's just, you know, me as the writer going and saying, okay, well, this is what I have and this is what's really interesting. And there's maybe there's like some gaps in how I would ideally want to tell it, but I also only have, you know, 1200 to 1500 words. So right. I'm not writing the treatise on XYZ restaurant. <laughs> it's a snippet and it's, and it's, I think I've gotten more focused, um, in that regard. Um, and I hope that that focus helps people. Not that I was unfocused before, but sometimes like I'll find like, okay, this is what, you know, I want to talk about, um, this thing. Like when I was, when I went to Mr. Lee's, when they opened their South side destination, I knew that the thing that was really unusual about that, among other things, was that they were taking this concept that they had basically honed since they started Belit. And Mr. Lee's and on Southside is this amalgamation of everything that they've done already, plus things they haven't done, plus, you know, oh, hey, we're going to make all our noodles from scratch because that's the way we roll. <laughs> so, right. you know, which is a big undertaking. And like literally, as I was interviewing Lee, they were rolling in, you know, the machine. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a way to just kind of, you know, I, I have a sense sometimes of how I want it to go or, or I, but I also rely, honestly, I also rely a ton on my intuition, just when I'm there. Mm -hmm. And just, I, I realize increasingly as I get older that my intuition guides every single interview that I do. And I don't, I don't even really think about it anymore, which is kind of wild. Well, you're, you're such a pro and I, I think that's so interesting kind of what you said about not anticipating the story before you get there and really just keeping your eyes open to what the story is, you know, as you see it, once you arrive. And I really do think you nail keeping those holes invisible to the reader and, and telling the story that, that fits. Um, and that, I, I don't know. I just, I think you're so talented at that. And I mean, we, we keep you very busy at Lehigh Valley style, but yeah, I know you're also busy elsewhere, and I'm wondering if you can talk about some of the other work that you do and, and let listeners in on that. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I do a little bit of everything, and I think, you know, I, for a while, had um, a regular full-time job for a couple of years, um, and then I got laid off right before the pandemic, so I kind of got a head start on everybody else who got laid off. <laughs> I was laid yeah. off in October 2019 from my from my big food website editing job. Um, and it was awesome. And I, I loved, you know, I loved doing that, but I think it, it forced me to do a lot of things. And I've looked for full-time work in the, in the, in the meantime, and no matter what I do, I would always continue to, 
you know, tell the stories around here, you know, as long as you'll permit me to. Um, and none of those things are really a conflict of interest of anything else that I do, which is kind of nice. I really like being rooted in the community as a writer and as a food writer. Um, you know, I, you know, the irony of course is that I don't go out to eat a lot, but when I, and I am out, um, often it's for, you know, at the behest of what I need to do for you guys or because of something else that I wanted to just check out on my own. But, um, so we appreciate that. So yeah, much. like cool. you, you and Allison both, you both really do this because you love it and not because, you know, we're paying you the big bucks or anything. It's like you, it's a labor of love for, for both of you guys. And, and I think that comes through too in, in the work. I think so too. And I think that, um, I mean, anything with food is really a labor of love. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Like opening a restaurant is tricky business, even in the best of times, most of them fail within the first year, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can find the statistics, but, um, you know, so I do this column. This is one part of what I do. I do other random food things that you throw my way, which is fun. Um, (laughs) you know, and then I also do, um, Oh, the other thing, just to go back for a second, one of my other favorite things that I did recently was the piece that I pitched to you about the food places up and down 611. That was a couple of years ago. Yes. I loved yes. that. It was in like June of maybe 2020 or 2021, I forget. Maybe. Yeah. Um, that I liked a lot. That was a lot of fun. Um, that was other- so fun. And yeah, that was totally your pitch and we we loved it and you ran with it and it was amazing. Yeah. And you did like a great, you guys did a great uh, visual representation of it. Like it was illustrated well and, you know, people could really kind of get a sense of where things were. I just remember that. Yeah, um, it was kind of like a map. Um, yeah. 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 Um, but in terms of other things I do, I do recipe development. Um, I have an ongoing relationship with Kroger supermarkets. They um, assign me stuff on a regular basis. I just finished a thing. This is so weird. You think magazines work far ahead enough of time? This is really strange. I finished something for summer of next year for them. A whole thing on oh burgers. Yeah, it's wild. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, like six yeah, months ago. Yeah, we're only working on February. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> magazines are like reliably three to four ahead of time, but it's, it's yeah. funny. Um, so I do stuff for them. I also have an ongoing behind the scenes editing gig for Dot Dash Meredith. I work on... Um, the spruce seats and eating well on their websites, just doing like behind the scenes editing. Um, and then I have another gig with, um, that's like a content writer for a a wellness, um, a women's health based company. So like a lot of my, my writing is around, you know, food and health and wellness. So in some ways I have come a little bit full circle back to men's health, with my after yeah. my foray of living in New York and going to NYU and writing for the Village Voice and interviewing musicians and things like that, um, but it's but it's cool because um, you know I have a sense of the broader broader trends in food and can see what's happening here versus what's happening elsewhere, um, and you know it used to be. Back in the day <laughs> when I started doing this column and, and the food landscape here, it was not what it is now, which is much more diverse and interesting and, um, you know, um, and good, I would say it's just varied, you know, back in the day, it was, it was, it was a different situation. And so through time, you know, I can kind of see what's happening nationally versus what's happening here. And it used to be that it took a long time for things to trickle down to the Lehigh Valley. 
Um, let's be honest. Um, but I feeling like, you know, maybe it's social media, maybe it's the pace of life. Maybe it's the pandemic. I don't even know anymore. Don't care. Doesn't matter. What I'm seeing though, is that, you know, people are creating, really wanting to create authentic and unique dining experiences here that are memorable. Um, that really, maybe it is part of the post-pandemic, um, just this urge to come together in a way that is eternal and is not a trend and will never change. People are going to always want to come together over food. Um, so yeah, so I kind of have, you know, lots of different kinds of experience and, um, that's, that's, it's a good balance for me to, to have my foot literally tethered with where I live, but also, you know, a lot of my other work comes from national sources. So, yeah. And I, I mean, you just mentioned going full circle back to, you know, health and wellness writing. And I did want to touch on that because you've also made the foray into like wellness coaching. And, and can you talk a little bit more about, about all of that? Sure. Yeah. Um, after, after I got laid off, I kept thinking like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I had all these thoughts, like maybe I should go into PR because I know so many people around here. Um, you know, maybe there's other ways of capitalizing on my knowledge. One of my, one of my super, um, one of the things that I love to do. Um, and I, and I honestly think I'm going to get a little astrological geeky here. I honestly think it's my, I have a bunch of, I have a, a couple of Gemini placements in my chart and I honestly think it's like, I love being a super connector. And I honestly think it's like part of that is my, is my Gemini um, and just being a communicator in general. So, you know, I love introducing people to each other who I feel should know each other. Um, like I introduced my friend, um, Wendy, who um, lives on this little farm in Nazareth and does, oh, shout out to Wendy, grow, uh, she grows her own herbs. Um, and mm-hmm. she makes teas out of them, which is really cool. It's called Grow Wild. And wow. um, yeah, she grows all kinds of stuff. And she sells them at places. She sells them at Curious Planaholic. Um, but I introduced okay. her to my friend, Nancy, who owns The Loving Peace. And I was like, hey, I was like, Nance, do you, would you want to sell tea in your shop? Maybe around Christmas? We'll see how it goes. And she's like, yeah, introduce me. So things like that. I love doing stuff like that. Because if yeah. I can help people who are like-minded, who can help each other, um, I don't know. I super geek out on that stuff. It's really dorky, but I love it. <laughs> it's a gift. I lo- yeah. It's yeah. Totally and that's kind of, so that's part of, you know, so I thought, well, maybe I should do PR. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. I spent some time talking to um, a lot of people around here and in Philly and New York about different options. I did some PR work for the guys at Stargazer for a little while, right in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I remember that. Oh my God. I love them. Um, go buy a Stargazer cast iron pan if you haven't. They're made, um, well, they're finished here in Allentown. They're they're process, they're made in two other plants that there aren't the manufacturing capabilities for in, in this region, but that doesn't matter. The guys are awesome. And and Peter, the owner, is a Lafayette grad. So oh. how many other businesses can I plug while I'm talking? <laughs> anyway. So I get evangelical yeah, about stuff that I like. And so, yeah. but I always was curious about um health coaching. And I thought, well, I have all this food knowledge. I know how to help people put meals together quickly. I know how to, you know, like my friends will text me and ask me these questions while they're in the grocery store. Like I have this recipe and it's calling for this. Can I use this instead? And I'll be like, no, don't do that. Or I'll be like, yes, you can do that. 
And then I started to <laughs> realize that this was something I could monetize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beyond just, you know, like I really want to just have this. I, I want to, what I really want to ha have is just like be a hotline, like in an old school hotline where people could call me you know, pay however many dollars a minute and get, you know, last minute food advice. I mean, that's kind of one of the fun things is that one of the fun aspects of what I offer with, with health coaching is like, you know, yeah, you know, you can, you can, you can work with me on a bunch of different levels. Like the basic levels, you know, we meet a couple times a month person or virtually we figure out like what your goals are with, with wellness. Um, I went through a program at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. It was remote. That was great. Um, and a lot of people around here have been through it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, to me, it's like, I wanted another thing to add to what I'm doing and another credential that would help me work with people in different ways, more interactive, tactile, practical ways. Um, and, you know, and some of the clients that I've worked with, you know, they start in one place and we kind of I, identify like, well, what, what are your goals? I mean, a lot of time it's weight loss or reducing inflammation or, you know, like I can't sleep well, or my hormones are wacky or whatever it is. And so we kind of identify the parts of the life that feel out of imbalance. And then we come up with plans on and suggestions on how to move forward. And honestly, a lot of it is just um, very, that process is very intuitive. Like one of my friends asked me the other day, <laughs> she was like, this is maybe like a month or so ago. She's like, you know what? She's like, I think I need a psychic nutritionist. <laughs> I said, All right. I said, I think that might kind of be me, although I'm not a nutritionist per se. Like that's a different training. I'm not an RD. I'm not going to tell you to count your macros or tell you to count calories. What, you know, the IIN program looks at is, you know, you as a holistic being. And a lot of it is, you know, they have this concept of primary and secondary food and, and all of those things are things that, literally feed into who you are and your, your wellness. So it's, you know, your work-life balance, it's, it's, um, exercise, it's family, it's relationships, it's your spirituality, it's all the things. And as I was going through the program, I was like, I know a lot of this stuff, but this is putting it all together in a way that enables me to work with it and, you know, hopefully work with other people. Um, so, you know, I can help people, do anything from, you know, identify those kind of triggers and, and behaviors that are, you know, holding them back to kind of just cheerleading them on, holding them accountable, um, helping them figure out, you know, what's in their pantry that they should keep and what they should maybe pitch, um, playing a little detective work with stuff that's, you know, bothering them. You know, I don't prescribe anything, but what I do is I share knowledge and offer context and insight. And in some cases, when it comes to food prep and things like that, um, you know, really practical tools. Um, I've been talking with the folks at the public market about starting up a, a meal planning kind of session on the weekends. We haven't nailed it down yet, but I'm just mentioning this now. So if people are interested, they can start, <clears throat> they, can, they can look out for it. Um, yeah, where you'll have to keep us posted on that. Yeah, too. like where you'd come yeah. in on maybe a Sunday um, once or twice a month, like, I don't know how we would do it. And you'd meal prep, like you'd shop at the market. Ideally, you'd get the things you want to get. And then you'd come into the kitchen. And then we'd talk through practical approaches to meal prep. Um, and people would, you know, come in and buy what they needed to buy there. Cause you can get everything you need there just about, um, this was the brainchild. And so, so we've been talking and I need to follow up on that, but so I can do things like that, but then I can also, you know, 
rely on my intuition and like I have a Reiki background. So lots of times if I'm working with someone, something will come through and I'll be like, oh, you know, I really think like, I think you really like, maybe okay, I got this like sense that like you need, the, like the word pineapple came to me and, you know, someone will say, oh my gosh, like I literally, I had pineapple this morning and I've been craving it. So, you know, oh so that's, what, that's what my friend asked me, like, you know, I do the psychic nutrition. So I was like, well, I'm kind of that. I um, was going to say, it was like, I was going to question the psychic part earlier, but now it sounds like that's actually in your yeah, repertoire as well. Oh yeah. That's, that's part of, that's part of, you know, what's, what, what I bring to the table. And that's part of, you know, what brought me. And that all started with, with my yoga practice 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago that I got really serious about after my kids were born. Well, now I have to say 13 years ago because they're 14 and I started doing mm -hmm. it in earnest after they were born. Um, but it opened me up to a lot. And that's what, what uh, gave birth to my blog, the Dharma kitchen, which is, which is where Om meets yum. And so it's this, you know, idea that, you know, I kind of found my purpose through cooking and helping other people cook and learn how to do it and just feed themselves on different levels. And so the health coaching is part and parcel of all of that too. It's all part of, it's all part of what I like to call the carry package. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes so much sense that it's all so connected because even when we're talking about your food writing, it's not just going reviewing the dining experience. It's the ingredients and the recipe development. And it kind of sent me to tasting Pennsylvania, which is the book that you wrote it celebrates the culinary offerings of Pennsylvania and shares more than a hundred recipes from chef bakers, bartenders. Um, we featured it in the magazine, so it may sound familiar to listeners, but mm -hmm. I'd love if you could share kind of the mission of the book and the process of writing it. I, I know that was quite the undertaking. It was a, definitely a long process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will in just a second, something came to me as you were talking before you ask that question. And um, I, I, you know, you said, because I'm like immersed in the ingredients and the yeah. process and all that, that's, it's so true. I find that when I go and talk to people, I'm able to, you know, I'm able to cut to the chase really quickly and speak their language once they understand that I understand what they're doing. And I'm not just like a random journalist. You know, yeah. I think lots of times people have varying experience with journalists, whether they're just like, you know, um, newspaper columnists or other, you know, things like that. They don't know what to expect. And I think maybe they, maybe people come to it with, sometimes it's the first time they've ever been written about, other times it's not. Um, and we certainly have some great food writers around here um, who know their stuff. I'm thinking in particular of Jennifer Sheehan at The Morning Call. Um, but, you know, when I can go in there and ask a really specific question, it immediately changes the dialogue and I, I get way more out of it. And then the reader gets way more out of it as a result. So you have all of that background knowledge that goes, yeah. like, Oh, this tastes really good. Or this was plated really nicely. Like you, yeah. you get it on a whole level. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different experience for sure. And plus having done it so long around here, I have a context, um, you know, I understand what someone's doing within the context of a, what they're doing, but also kind of what makes it, you know, different or remarkable for, for our region, which is always an important thing to kind of circle back to. Um, yeah. but the, the cookbook was a bit of serendipity, quite honestly. And I have to say, and I said this before that it came as a result, not only of kind of being in the right place at the right time, but also being prepared 
I had done a lot of work for you guys. Um, I had done a lot of writing for um, Joy Manning, who was the editor for a long time of Edible Philly. Um, I'd even done some writing for Edible Jersey. Shh. Anyway, <laughs> I'm from New Jersey, so I'm just I'm joking. I'm poking fun. At I am as well. So yes, yes, all the best. People, all the best people are. No offense. Um, no, but but um, so I was at a conference, and um, a friend of mine, you know, was working on a book for Kentucky, and she said my publisher has these other states earmarked that they want to work on, and one of them was Ohio, and one of them was Pennsylvania, and so I had a conversation. Um, my friend Sarah ended up writing the Ohio book and I ended up writing the Pennsylvania book, but I was prepared. I realized that like when I sat down to come up with the list of, you know, we came up with this list, my, my editor and I of all the dishes that we thought should be that were kind of quintessentially Pennsylvania. And so all the things that come to mind when you think of Pennsylvania, and I did a ton of crowdsourcing on Facebook for this too, which was fun. Um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, make a list of like, okay, so you know, cheesesteaks, shoe fly pie, um, scrapple, um, you know, all, all these different things. Um, right. You know, uh, old forge pizza, like all different kinds of stuff. And so we came up with this list and then I figured out what were the best. Then we figured out kind of what were the ones that felt like absolute must haves. And then I came, figured out where to find those recipes, like who, created the best versions of those kinds of recipes. But then there was also just like, I really need mushroom recipes because Pennsylvania is a huge mushroom producer. So, you know, I, I found, I found a great restaurant in Kennett square, which is where, I don't know, there's some crazy percentage of, of the mushrooms that you get in supermarkets come from Kennett square, Pennsylvania. Um, so uh, there was a restaurant that, um, you know, that, that gave me a great recipe for, a soup and there's like this multi-layered process of mushroom preparation um and then of course we have the mushroom ramen from from mr lee's which is a multi-step process which is a project that is well worth undertaking it's probably the most involved recipe in the book i think it took three pages um so you know we came up with this list of here are the things that are absolute must-haves here are the people who are absolute must-haves some of those had overlaps there were there were google docs there were lots of there was a lot of tracking going on <laughs> and you know I came, my, I came to my publisher with three local photographers that i had worked with before who were all awesome um and they settled on allison and um you know she and i spent a lot of time laughing and cursing and giggling and plating and my house was overrun with boxes from Crate and Barrel, let props and stuff that would come out that would show up. She'd be like, I ordered a bunch more stuff from Crate and Barrel. I was like, okay, I'll be on the lookout. I'll set it aside. So, you know, we did all of this um, in right, 2017. Because you, because you recreate, recreated the recipes. Right. The so they would give me, yeah. they, exactly. So they would give me the recipes. I would identify which ones we wanted. Um, And so a lot of them, you know, some of them needed more work than others, you know, and I had to figure out, well, we want to have seasonality, but we also want to have recipes that are kind of evergreen that you could make any time of year. Um, So, you know, there's things like the meatballs recipe from Ralph's, which is this super old storied Italian restaurant in Philly. Um, But then there's also, um, you know, there's also things that are way more seasonal that involve 
you know, putting together strawberries and beets or something. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to buy strawberries in December and do that. That's like, you know, buying a sad pink tomato in January that nobody wants. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, so yeah, so it was a combination of that. And so we got this list and we figure out what we wanted. And, you know, like I knew, for example, you know, I was, I realized that when I got started with this project that I was just maybe one degree of separation from maybe at least half of the content between what I had done up here. I felt I had like the Poconos to Philly to let's say state college kind of covered in terms and like Lancaster County area. Cause I had done some work. Oh, that was the other thing. I'm realizing this now. I had done some work on a Fromer's guide to Philadelphia and Amish country. And they had given me the Amish country section to completely redo. So I had that knowledge. So I was prepared, you know, it's kind of, everything was like, you know, in this like cliche way, everything was leading up to this book. I mean, not everything, but a lot of what I had done had prepared me. Um, And I had good friends who had either lived in Pittsburgh um, because you pit Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Lehigh Valley in that order, three largest metro areas in the Commonwealth, believe it or not, we are enormous. Um, we are that enormous. Um, <laughs> and so demographic wise. And so, so I realized that I had a lot of it covered. Um, and then everything else was just a fun rabbit hole to dive down. Like, like, what do you get in Altoona? You know, I knew I needed to get a restaurant that, you know, had some connection to the show, the office. Um, and so there were like all these little things that popped up. I knew that Penn state's Berkey creamery had to be in there. And they literally like emailed me a PDF that was their base recipe. Um, and you know, I had a lot of questions and had to scale it a little bit, but you know, things like that. And people, you know, Ben and Jerry's trained there. Like people go there, their, their ice cream is famous. Their creamery is famous and and their education for professionals who want to do that is, is well-regarded. So, and that might be a thing that a lot of people didn't know about. So it was, you know, the heavy hitters and the James Beard Award winners, but then the mom and pop places, the places that are just making awesome sandwiches, you know, the bakeries, the B&Bs, and that was that. And we did all that in my kitchen and it was supposed to be published in 2018, but through no fault of my own, got pushed back. And then it was finally published in August of 2019, which I can't believe was three years ago. Um, and then we did this big dinner at the Easton public market, um, in January of 2020, I just opened my book and I'm looking at the menu and, um, Jeremy from two rivers was there with Lee and, um, from Mr. Lee's and, um, chef Mike from third and ferry. And then we had some folks from Dunder and Heister when they were at the market. Cause I have their bone broth recipe. Um, and some of the recipes were mine too. So there were a bunch that that, that I got from elsewhere, but I would say, I think I developed between 10 and 15. Um, and some of them were things I had to kind of just figure out like, um, Pennsylvania funny cake, which is this hilarious. I mean, it's funny. in so far that it's a cake made in a, in a pie dish with pie crust. Um, and so it's, you know, it's one of those kind of like things that like a lot of people, like I wanted things that were, you know, Amish or PA Dutch, but also maybe kind of surprising. Um, so, you know, I tapped all the people that I, that I felt I needed to tap. Um, I got a recipe from William Woy's Weaver, who does a lot with Pennsylvania Dutch cooking um, and has done a lot around the education of that and seed saving, um, heirloom seeds. He's quite a character. 
Um, and so I really felt like I, you know, got a good broad sample of what's what here. And I got a recipe from Maria Rodale from her book. And she wrote, um, she wrote the foreword, I believe that's what you call it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> the forward. Yeah. Which was awesome. And it was really good timing because it was literally right before her spot Rodale. So <laughs> yeah. in the scenes perspective, I was like, whoo, it was very <laughs> good. Like so, so that was kind of interesting. But, yeah. It really so is that, amazing. Yeah. Like all of the all of like the, the heavy hitters, like you said, who were willing to share recipes, like, like the creamery and, and I mean, what, was anyone skeptical about, you know, giving over their, their recipes yes. or was, was it just and such an yes. opportunity? I'm glad you brought that up because 95, maybe even higher percent of the people that I contacted were very open and they understood kind of that like sharing is caring. Um, mm -hmm. because people who work in food share and they are open and they understand that it's collaborative and they understand that, you know, a lot of people understand that, you know, um, it, it would make the project even better. And on an ego basis, it's a little bit of an ego flex. Sure. It's nice to be asked. Um, right. but there were definitely a couple of people who said no. Um, and usually when I get those kinds of responses, they're all fear-based responses. Um, there's been other times when I've asked people, when I've done work for you guys, um, I'm thinking of one situation in particular where I asked someone, would you want to share this recipe with, with the readers? And the woman was like, no, because I don't want to give away my secrets. I was like, uh -huh. well, okay, that's fine, but it's not going to make you obsolete. Like I see it as like, this brings more people. This A, it helps people understand how you make what you make. It enables them and empowers them to do it at home. But it also makes them want to taste and figure out who you are. It's, it's a win for everyone, but some people don't yeah. see it. That's fine. And I respect that. That's totally fine. Everybody's coming to it wherever they're coming to it. And that's cool by me. But a lot of people were super generous. Um, but I had to do a lot of chasing because I, you know, I always have to, I, part of my job is chef wrangling. Always. Yep. You know, just like <laughs> tracking them down figuring out, like knowing that, you know, the best days to contact them for anything you want is a Monday. Um, mm -hmm. Things like that. Just a form of experience. And that, that helped make it go faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah well and so the stargazer pan is a, a the cast iron pan is a great holiday gift this season it is so is tasting pennsylvania the cookbook do you have any you mentioned the event at the eastern public market i know you've had other book signings and things there do you have anything coming up or or where can people purchase it i don't have anything coming up just now i just did some um i did an event at the public market in conjunction with the Easton book festival, but I know you can get it at book and puppet in Easton. Um, you can probably also still get it at, um, the Barnes and Nobles in the area. I know the one on 33 has it. Um, they I've done, I've done signings there. Um, I should probably get on that. It might be too late, but it might not be. Um, yeah. you know, the pandemic, things have been weird since the pandemic in terms of <laughs> events, but people are definitely looking for in-store events and, you know, people are, are back out for, for better or worse. People are, are, you know, dining is back. Um, and the things that support dining to some extent are back too. Yeah. So you can get it there. You can also likely get it at uh, Lafayette College's store. Um, I did a signing last December there that was pretty successful. So they probably still have copies, um, you know, and you can get it on Amazon, but I like to plug the locals first. Yes. Yeah. So, 
We love that. <laughs> or you can contact me and I'll and I'll sell you one and I'll sign it for you. Um, that's also there you possible. Go. I know they have signed copies of Book and Puppet because I signed a bunch and I know that Andy has some on just in, you know in stock at all times there. So because he's good like that. So that's where you Amazing. can get it. Love it. Well, to leave <laughs> off, I, I'd love if you could talk, you know, a little bit about any advice to aspiring writers and editors and people who maybe are toying with, you know, going freelance full time or and any kind of takeaways um, that you can give. Uh, yeah, um, I would just say, you know, if you're aspiring or just starting out, just write as much as possible from for whomever will let you write but make it worth your time. There's only so much free writing that you can and I think should do, you know. Um, people will take advantage of young writers, um, but then there's also amazing opportunities and a lot of it is just tapping into and looking at what you already know and who's in your network or who do you know who knows someone else who, who can help you. Um, I've learned so many things just by talking to other people and not being afraid to start conversations, um, you know, because that's where a lot of the serendipity occurs. So that I would say, you know, is something that can help anybody who's just starting out. Um, in terms of the freelance thing, well, that is an ongoing, honestly, a bit of an ongoing struggle. And I've come a long way in terms of how I think about it. Um, I realize that I believe that I can do my best work by working, by offering all my different kind of unicorn talents to different people in different circumstances. And I've done a lot of work around that, which is a, maybe a topic for another podcast or another conversation in just trusting that I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this a long time and things will kind of come through to me. Um, I interviewed for so many jobs in the last couple of years that I was a finalist for. And I finally got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm not getting these jobs. Maybe it's not like, oh, this isn't the right job or the perfect job will come along. People always say that like, oh, you know, when it's right, it'll be perfect. It's like a relationship, mm -hmm. right? But then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm not getting these jobs because I'm not supposed to. Because my best work can be done by, you know, offering what I can offer to you guys and offering what I can offer to, you know, people who need recipe development work or wellness coaching work or, um, you know, <laughs> you know, meal yeah. prep advice or, you know, whatever it is to all different kinds of clients. And people are finding me. And so kind of once I like let that go and stopped mm -hmm. looking. I literally, I guess it was in July. Um, I unsubscribed from a bunch of job notification lists that I was on. Cause it's like, once you get on one, you get on a million. I don't know how that happens. Yeah. Like some sort of <laughs> spam machine. Um, I'd started deleting them because they were giving me such agita every time I saw them in my inbox. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. So I just deleted them unsubscribed. And then as soon as I started doing that and just let it all go, like I just surrendered to the process. And this is right. like spiritual carry coming out. I started getting all this work. Like literally I had things coming into my inbox without me doing anything. It, it was comical, Kristen. It was so oh. funny. Like, oh, oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, I can do that. When do you need that by? And so I had this crazy September where wow. I can't even begin to tell you how much, how much freelance work I had. And so, you know, it I'm so happy to hear that though. Yeah, it ebbs and flows. You have to have a savings account. Um, and I would also say like, it really helps to diversify your, your client base because, you know, mm -hmm. something could dry up unexpectedly and will, like I've been through that. You know, I worked, I did yeah. work for Fomers for years and then Google bought them and they bought Zagat's and a bunch of other um, travel and food related properties maybe 10 years ago. I don't even remember how long ago it was. 
And so then my work went from doing the work that I had been doing, uh, writing all kinds of stuff like travel deals and then longer pieces and interviews and just all kinds of stuff about travel and food to writing all these, what basically was the, the beginning days of writing meta descriptions for Google food destinations. It was crazy. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so like the, the things that you find when you type in, you know, um, you know, two rivers or curious, you know, curious goods, right. Whatever restaurant you are looking for, like there's a little description and somebody has to write that. Right. So this is like the invisible writing of the world. Writing is everywhere. Content is everywhere. And so people yeah. will always need content, but the degree to which they are interested in paying for quality content <laughs> varies. Right, right. <laughs> that I can tell anybody, and I think that's true. Um, it is the truth. But you know, you just you know, you just network. You never burn a bridge. Always be professional and diplomatic, and you know, the work will find you if it's what you're meant to do. And that's kind of you know, that's kind of the piece that I've made with it. Yeah, if somebody offered me an amazing six-figure job tomorrow with health insurance and all the things, and I got to do the amazing things and be like, yeah, give it to me. If I can take all my unicorn skills and put them in one bucket, as opposed to putting my skills in different buckets, great. But that hasn't happened yet. So it might, it might not, I don't know, this could be it. And if that's the case, like, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just kind of leaning into it and leaning into those unicorn skills. Yeah, and I think people, people get that. Um, you know, good people who need good content, who wanna develop relationships with writers get that. and. And, um, you know, I value that really highly. So I feed those relationships because they're important. But I think that's just such great advice and, and such great insight into what you do. And I've just, I've loved hearing so much about it today. And it's been a pleasure. I could listen to you talk about it all day long. We'll have to have you back on. That's really sweet. Thanks. <laughs> well, we end every episode by sharing a recent experience we've had locally. It can be somewhere you went, someone you met, something you did. Uh, and since we're talking food, I have to plug a local restaurant award winner, tie it back to our November edition. Mm -hmm. um, I finally got back to Union and Finch last week. Uh, mm. They won this year for favorite Allentown. Uh, I shared some apps with some friends. And I have to say the burrata was absolutely incredible. It, it was so, so good. And um Yes, love Union and Finch. How about yeah. you, Carrie? Um, they are so good. And um, often appetizers in the small plates are the best parts of the menus. I don't I don't hardly ever get excited about entrees. And yeah. I find that most most food people are more excited about those things because then you can order a bunch of different things and and get your creativity and you know your curiosity. Um, and yeah. in my case, your, your indecision accounted for by ordering three things instead of one big thing. Oh my gosh. So recently, recently I was out visit. I was out dropping off flowers at Allison's house because she just had big surgery and um, I was out her way and I decided, I was like, you know what? I am in a rare moment, five minutes from switchback pizza. <laughs> so oh, there's a Friday. Oh my gosh. And I love them so much. They're so good. I remember them from the Easton farmer's market days where they'd have their mobile pizza unit, which always cracks me up because it has a license plate on the back because they take it, you know, it's like <laughs> they attach it to the back of a truck or whatever and, and take, take their, take their oven on the go, which is amazing. Um, and I was so excited to see Drew and their, and, and they are making all sorts of breads and wonderful things. So of course I came home with a pizza, which I ate in the car because 78 was a pain in the butt. 
It was a bad accident and it took me over an hour to get home to Easton from Emmaus, which was oh not so. Yeah. Everyone so listening knows the- that pain. Oh my God. Yeah. I had time to eat the pizza though. So that was good. Um, so that's somewhere I've been recently that I was so happy to return to food wise. Um, and they won for best, best Emmaus, I believe. So, so there they you go. Did, and they are actually speaking of recipes. Um, they shared a pizza recipe with Allison that she shot them and and this um italian sausage apple pie pizza mm, isn't out nice. yet but plug them that listeners have to go well, isn't that, a copy of that didn't that work out nicely we didn't even plan it we <laughs> we didn't even plan it well I Zippity, baby. yeah <laughs> i was going to say i think that's today's conversation which i love mm-hmm Oh, let our listeners know where they can follow along with you, find your work, all of the things. Okay, so you can definitely find me, obviously, in Lehigh Valley style. You can find me, um, oh my gosh, online in different places. Um, the best place to kind of find me virtually is probably Instagram. I'm at writer Carrie. Um, lots of times I get tagged on on things from other restaurants when you guys post, which is kind of fun, or when restaurants post. I love when restaurants post. And then they tag me and tag Allison or the other creators, whoever they are. I always find that to be such a good mm-hmm. um, gesture of goodwill and camaraderie and community building. So that makes me super happy when that happens. I um, love it too, because yeah. so like behind the scenes for listeners, when, when an issue comes out, I send those featured um, JPEGs. I, I request that they tag the magazine and the writer and the photographer. And I, nice. I love you guys, but it does I didn't really know that happen. you were doing that. Yeah, that it's a, it's a recent thing within the last year, but it doesn't always happen. So it's really exciting when they when they follow along with instructions. Yeah, and I think a lot of them. I mean, a lot of times they they'll, they'll do it on their own, like Pat's yeah. in Bethlehem, also a great place for pizza and just surprisingly awesome food. Um, there's just like a theme of pizza going on today. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think I think somewhere in my DNA I must be one percent Italian. But anyway, um, yeah, no, it's great when that happens. And I think it's it's really helpful. So writer Carrie on Instagram, my website, thedharmakitchen.com, Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, um, like Jack Kerouac's The Dharma Bombs, but different. Um, <laughs> those are probably the, the best two places. Um, you know, you can also run into me, I don't know, elsewhere, public market, downtown Easton, on trails, in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely I've run into you at the public market before. Yeah, so for I sure. That's a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Aw, wonderful! Thank you so 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 much, Carrie. I've Thank loved you. chatting with you. I appreciate you being here and taking the time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was a blast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Carrie and our final episode for the month of November. You can expect new episodes of the LV Edit every other Wednesday. Until then, follow me at LV Style Kristen on Instagram. I'll talk to you soon.